Today's sponsor is Headspace. You slept every night of your life, so you should be pretty good at it by now, right? Unfortunately, many of us don't get the quality sleep that we need and could use a little bit of help, and that's where Headspace has got you covered. It's your daily dose of mindfulness in the form of guided meditations in an easy-to-use app. And while they have meditations devoted to helping you reduce stress and increase your overall sense of well-being, they have an entire library of sleep stories, sleep music, and other sleep sounds that can help you get the quality sleep you desperately need. And for busy lifestyles, they have what's called wind downs. It's meditations and breathing exercises that are as short as three minutes so they can fit into anybody's schedule. I personally use Headspace myself. I've tried out some of the sleep stuff. It actually works. Like to me, it actually makes a difference. So Headspace, it's backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews. That's a lot. And over 60 million downloads. Try it today for free and start sleeping soundly. So right now, our listeners get 30% off Headspace's entire library of meditations. Just go to headspace.com slash sleep pod for 30% off your subscription, but only until May 12th. This is the best deal offered right now. Head to headspace.com slash sleep pod today. This is the Smart Passive Income Podcast with Pat Flynn, session number 243, 243. Let's do this. Welcome to the Smart Passive Income Podcast, where it's all about working hard now so you can sit back and reap the benefits later. And now your host, he wears t-shirts from startups almost every single day, Pat Flynn. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Thank you so much for joining me today in this session of the Smart Passive Income Podcast. So happy you're here with me and my special guest, Michael Hyatt from michaelhyatt.com. He's been somebody who has been a major inspiration for me over the last couple of years. Uh, Back in episode 163, I chatted with him about building a team and leadership because that was right around the time back in mid-2015 where I was really getting focused on building a team. And it was because of him, actually. He was the reason why I knew building a team would be incredibly beneficial for myself and for Smart Passive Income. And since then, I've been building my team and building bigger and better things to serve you, the SPI audience. And it's been awesome. A lot of great things happened this year from the redesign of the website to uh, Will It Fly came out, became a Wall Street Journal bestseller to the brand new relaunch of the Smart Podcast Player and its brand new look and so many other things that have happened. Um, And a lot of that happened not just because of my team, but because of the goals that we set and how we achieve them, which is what I wanted to talk about with you in this episode today with Michael, and that is goal setting. He actually has a course, it's it's a pretty famous course that uh, has come out the last three years in a row around this time of year. It's called Five Days to Your Best Year Ever. It's a course that I'm actually taking myself this year because I need to get you know, even more help with my goal setting, getting super focused, getting that accountability and all the right things into place to make sure that I follow through on these big, big items that I have coming up in 2017. And I want you to do the same thing. So whether you take this course or not, we'll share a link for you at the end on on how to get it. Um, Just this episode is gonna be so much gold information for you from how to set the right goals to how to follow through and achieve them to how to even understand whether or not you should change your goals. That That's actually one of the biggest questions I get. I get, Pat, how do I know when to keep going with something or stop and move somewhere else? 
And it's one of the best frameworks I've ever heard on how to approach that question delivered by Michael in this episode. So uh, we're gonna get right into it. So this is Michael Hyatt from michaelhyatt.com and uh, founder of the Five Days to Your Best Year Ever course, which fun fact, it's actually one of the shortest courses I've ever taken in terms of the length of videos and, and the content. You know, it really taught me, for those of you who create online courses out there, it really taught me the fact that you don't need to create more videos and more content in order to make the best course. Sometimes it's just the quality of the course that is really is is what matters. Uh, and, and that's something I picked up from Michael even just through his example in that course, Five Days to Your Best Year Ever. Anyway, we're gonna get into that in a little bit, but for now, let me introduce you or reintroduce you to Michael Hyatt from michaelhyatt.com. Hey everybody, I'm so happy to welcome Michael Hyatt back to the SPA podcast, back again to just share with us a number of things that are gonna help us move forward into the new year. So Michael, thank you so much for being here. We always, always love you on the show. Oh, thanks, Pat. Always a joy to be with you. You know, you've inspired me quite a bit. I know a lot of people know I give a lot of credit to you for how I've been able to build my team. So I wanted to thank you publicly again uh, for that. I mean, that was truly life-changing. But I also know that from watching on the outside, you've been doing a lot in your own brand to make some changes as well. I've seen uh, michaelhyatt.com undergo massive changes. I know that you've come out with uh, even more courses and platform universities just exploding. I'd love to just have you share with the audience kind of what, what you've been up to lately and, and where did this kind of a sudden rush of amazing products and, and stuff under the MH brand come from? <laughs> well, I've really been transitioning from being a, a solopreneur, then with a small team, and now today we've got 23 full-time employees. Wow. As well as a lot of key contractors that work with us. And the company has doubled every year since um, I started it in 2011. And that's been amazing to watch because what it's allowed me to do is to get more and more narrowly focused on the handful of things that I do well. And so I don't have to dabble in all the things that I don't do so well. So as a result of that, I've been able to just really focus on creating content and delivering that content. So this past summer, I created a new productivity course, which we launched, was a seven-figure launch product called Free to Focus. And it was really um, kind of my conviction that productivity is not so much about getting more done, but getting the right things done. Mm. And particularly the ability to, as entrepreneurs, to create a life where we can have more freedom. You know, the freedom to really focus on the work that matters, the freedom to really be present with the people we love most, and the freedom to be spontaneous so that we have enough margin in our lives that, you know, for me, when my kids or my grandkids drop by, I can stop what I'm doing because I've got that kind of margin. Mm -hmm. So it was fun to share that with people and just see the transformation. I mean, I, I know this is true for you, but my favorite thing is getting those emails or those video testimonies from people who um, just had a radical transformation as a result of content that uh, we've been able to produce. And it's been really fun for me to be able to produce content in the context of a team mm -hmm. so that I don't have to do everything like I used to have to do it. But I've got people that can handle the research and create slides for webinars and all that kind of stuff. Now, when you were uh, kind of starting out as an entrepreneur, even recently, do you feel like you, with Free to Focus, were kind of addressing your earlier self? Is, is, that, is that something you struggled with, with trying to prioritize and figure out what to do, and you felt sometimes maybe that you were working on things that weren't matterful, or, or is this something you've always been an expert at? Well, it's something I've definitely always had an interest in, you know, because mm -hmm. I'm, I'm the strength finders, I'm an achiever. Mm -hmm. And so what that means is 
that I love checking off boxes. I like accomplishing new, bigger goals. But the problem was, is that unbridled, that can just basically take over your life. And what I didn't do so well early in my career is have work-life balance. And so I really kind of sacrificed my health and my family, you know, thankfully not to a level where it was tragic, but certainly where it was a, a level where there was an impact because I was pursuing my career just doing, getting productive so I could do more and more and do it faster and faster and never stopping to ask the bigger question of what kind of life do I want? Where is this all going? You know, I want to, I'm in this for the long game and mm -hmm. I want to leave a legacy and that takes some intention and some planning. Right. And that goes very much in alignment with a recent book that you had co-authored called Living Forward, which is great. Uh, I have a number of copies that I've given out for free to my audience and they just are loving it. And, you know, everything that you do and you touch seems to really have a massive impact on people's lives. I'd love for you to speak a little bit on, well, how do you know what items to tackle that are going to have the biggest effect on your audience? I think a lot of people who are listening to this have a number of ideas, a number of different products that they could create or things that they could do to help their audience. And for whatever reason, you just always seem to pick that perfect one that starts that domino effect like Jay Papasan and Gary Keller talk about in The One Thing. How do you how do you decide what to do? Yeah, that's one of the great things about having a blog or a podcast because you get to test content. And I always look at my blog at my podcast as kind of a lab where I, you know, try things without a lot of investment. I mean, I try to be thoughtful in my podcast and I try to be thoughtful in my uh, blog post, but there's a lot of difference between creating a podcast or a blog and creating a course, you know, mm -hmm. which as you know, because you've created them, it's an all consuming thing where you're making a huge investment of time and money and effort. So I'm looking at the, the blog posts that really resonate. I watch the email that comes in, you know, we get hundreds of messages a day where people are writing in and they ask a certain number of questions and just what people are saying and what they're looking to me for. So I think if, you know, my friend Dan Miller says that if you get the same question about two or three times, you need to consider creating a product about it. And so I don't I do a little more than two or three times, but if we're getting that question over and over again, like productivity, mm -hmm. you know, I, I realize, and those posts are always some of my hottest posts. I knew that that was a big area. Then we went from there to a survey. And so we do a survey every year on my blog. And one of the things that we asked about was we gave him several topics and said, you know, if I could create a course for you that would meet a, a pressing need that you have, what would it be? And we gave him several examples. And for the last several years, productivity has always been at the top. I love that. So you're literally taking the guesswork out of it and you're having your own audience tell you exactly what they need anyway. Yeah, totally. And one of the things I did with the course, I forgot about this, but this is this will be important for your audience, is that I created a Facebook group around productivity. And I thought this will be sort of the beta mm. group. And I'll test the content. And we did everything. We tested the outline. We tested the basic uh, conceptual models that we used inside the course. We tested the title. We uh, tested the, the design, you know, the art mm -hmm. and all that. And we had over 12,000 people in that group. Wow. And they knew that a course was coming. Well, they did. They said, I'm, I, I said, I'm going to create this course and I want you guys to be my test group. And if you're willing to do that, I'll give you a special deal on sort of a beta edition of the course. So we did that over the summer and I sold the course for half price and we limited the um, involvement to 300 people. And what we wanted was our feedback. Mm -hmm. And so then we created another Facebook group where those people were able to give us very specific uh, feedback. And then we recreated the course in August and then relaunched it in September. And that's when it went big time. Yes, right. Great. Did you have any issues with using Facebook to kind of command and 
allowed the discussions to happen the way you wanted uh, them to, or was that kind of good enough for what, what you needed at the time? I, I think it was good enough. The thing I love about Facebook is it happens in the context of what people are already doing. You're not asking them to go to another site where they have to learn the protocol. They know Facebook. Mm-hmm. I would say the, the bad part about it was I really intended that beta group, that first group to be about a thousand people. And I didn't know the difference between a private Facebook group and a secret Facebook group. And so anybody that was searching for productivity, that group would come up and we had all kinds of people joining it. And so I think I would, I would limit it a little bit more because we got people that really weren't part of the demographic that were in there, that weren't willing to pay what I eventually charged for the course. So I believe, and correct me if I'm wrong, private means people know that that group exists, but they can't get access to it unless somebody were to kind of get invited or, or, or get accepted into it uh, versus that's right. a secret one, which even if people search for it, it's kind of hidden, right? Yeah, that's the difference. Okay. With the secret one, they can't search for it and find it. Okay, great. And for something like a beta group for, uh, or founding members for an upcoming course, I, I, I feel like, and I'm guessing this is what you mean, the secret group would be the way to go. It would be the way to grow, go because one of the things that we did when, we, when I posted about that on my blog is I had them go do a survey, monkey survey. Mm-hmm. And, w- and one of the things that we tested for is we said, look, um, or one of the questions we asked was, would you be willing, if you were convinced that this program could save you 10 to 20 hours a week, would you be willing to pay $500 or more? And so the people that said no, then they weren't in the market. People that said yes, were in the market. But once it got into Facebook search, then anybody could could do it. So I remember seeing a headline that you had posted on Facebook a while back and I think a tweet or two from it. Um, but it was really intriguing because the headline was something to the likes of, you know, five productivity tips, which, you know, we're automatically drawn to productivity tips in the first place. But then here's the kicker, five productivity tips that are actually making you less effective or, or, or making you work slowly or slower. That, that was really interesting to me. Could you share one or, one or two of those things with us? I think that would yeah. be completely helpful before we get into kind of the meat of goal setting. Yeah, you bet. Um, so, yeah, that was actually a webinar I did where I did about 10 of those. And uh, one of them is sometimes we're encouraged to sleep less you know, so that we could actually use that time, get up earlier, use that time to write a book or accomplish something that we've really wanted to accomplish. Mm-hmm. In fact, when I was the CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishers, we published a book. I'm not proud of this, but we published a book where the woman advocated that you could train yourself to sleep on just four hours a night. Well, all the research says that's the exact opposite of what you need to do. When you're tired, you're less focused and you're therefore less productive. So if you think about it, you know, when you're reading late at night and you find yourself having to read that same paragraph over and over again right. because you just don't have the focus and you're tired. And sometimes just a good night's sleep will make you more uh, productive and focused. Another thing, too, that uh, another tip is that sometimes we're told to, you know, we need to write everything down we need to do for the day. And one of the things that I've really found that's helped me is something I call my big three. And so for every day, I have three and only three tasks that I have to do, but they're important. So they're things that are really important. They're not the trivial stuff. Mm-hmm. I do have a startup routine when I get to the office and I have a shutdown routine at the end of the day where I handle things like email. That doesn't really go on my to-do list. But what I do have on my to-do list are the three things that will really move the needle. And I figure if I can do three things a day and I can do that consistently five days a week over the course of a year and accomplish those things, 750 things or so, mm-hmm. that's, that's a good year. Absolutely. Do you figure out what those three things are the day prior or a week ahead of schedule? When does that come into play? Yeah, no, I, I usually do it the night before. 
And uh, I'll, I'll have things that will show up, you know, that maybe I put a reminder on because they have to be done today. Mm-hmm. Like got to file my income taxes or whatever. They have to be done today. Right. But usually I do it the night before. And then as a part of my morning startup routine, I just confirm that something else hasn't come up. And those are still the, uh, the big three for that day. I love that. So not a super huge to-do list, but actually a shorter one could work out in your favor. And if you're consistent with it, I mean, like you said, those things add up. And I, I, I also have to agree with you on the, on the sleep thing. It sort of reminds me of what I learned with working out and, and physical exercise where, yes. you know, you feel like you're losing hours because you're not working and not doing these things to get ahead in your business. But it actually comes back and helps you out even better after you, you accomplish those things. Well, so true. And just back on the list thing, I, I want to share a tip that I got from Dan Sullivan, who's somebody I really admire. And he said, so many people are setting up a game that they can't win. You know, they've got like this long to-do list when they start the day. No way they're going to get them all done. So they get to the end of the day and they've got less checked off than they have left. And they just feel like a failure. So mm-hmm. you wake up overwhelmed, you go to bed defeated, and you're setting yourself up for a game that you can't win. On the other hand, if you do the three things that you're actually going to do today, the big things, the three things, that's a game you could win and you could put your head on the pillow at night and feel great that you got the important things done. I love that. Thank you, Michael, for sharing that. Yeah. Now we are approaching uh, the new year and it just seems like it was yesterday that I was planning out 2016 and here we are moving into 2017 already. And I think goal setting and accomplishing things that we've always wanted to do is on people's minds. Where do people start with this? I think this is the big thing. A lot of people have a, a ton of goals, and how do you know which ones to to, to pick into the new year? I mean, um, I think a lot of people suffer from goal, f- sort of fatigue, goal overwhelm, and even mm-hmm. just when they start thinking about what they want to accomplish, knowing that there's just all this stuff already happening in the year. Where, I mean, where do we even start with any of that? Yeah, I think we have to start in the realm of possibility, where we think about, what could we do this next year? I mean, if we really wanted to make this next year our best year ever, what would have to be true by the time we get to uh, 1231, 2017? What would have to be true? What would have had to have happened this last year for it to be a great year? And I think sometimes we're, we're so defeated before we start. You know, maybe we didn't accomplish the goals that we really wanted to accomplish. And I think we have to remind ourselves that this next year is like a blank canvas. You know, nothing's been done. You know, it's wide open. We can paint it any color we want. And I think that we sometimes have to get past the limiting beliefs that hold us back. And I think confronting those limiting beliefs is a really important exercise. And one of the things I do in in my course is help people confront what are the limiting beliefs that are making them think that certain things aren't possible. And And I do believe that as we're thinking about this next year, I think it's important to think about the totality of our life so that all of our goals just aren't business goals. Where it really gets exciting to me was, is when I think about what could I really accomplish in my health this next year or in my relationship with my wife? I've been married for 38 years and, you know, it's our goal always to take our relationship to the next level in the next year. So how can we continue to build on what we've already got and make it even better this next year? So thinking about the totality of your, your life is really important as well. That starts getting me jazzed and excited about the possibility of what could happen. What are some of those common limiting beliefs that you are finding from your students in your course? Are there any common ones that are sort of more universal? Yeah, I think some of them are just the limitations or that happen around their failures. You know, so somebody may think, uh, you know, I can't lose weight because I'm just a big bone person, mm-hmm. you know, or some kind of story that they're telling themselves uh, about their weight. You know, I'm just, I'm just destined to be heavy. 
or, you know, I'm just not somebody that's a, a morning person. Well, you know, there, I, I get that there are circadian rhythms and there's a lot of other things that, that influence that, but those also can be choices. You know, I have a whole blog post that I've written on how to become a morning person. And there's some things you can do if you want to do it. You don't have to choose to do it. But if you want to do it, you can do that. Or maybe it's a limiting belief around money. You know, like I'm just not very good with money. You know, I've never been able to accumulate it or I can't seem to make any more. I'm stuck in my career. Anytime you start inhibiting your freedom or pulling yourself back from what could be possible, there's a good chance that you're running up against a limiting belief that's just in your head. And I'll tell you a story. I used to have this um, dog. His name was Nelson. And uh, we put an invisible fence in our yard because we didn't have, we have now a real fence, but at that point we didn't have a real fence and I didn't want him to run out into the street and get killed because we live in a very busy downtown neighborhood. And so we did the invisible fence and I was a little bit nervous about it, but we trained him over time and literally when he would approach the fence, he would just get a little vibration. And first it was a vibration and a sound and then it just becomes a vibration. So totally humane, doesn't do anything negative, but he would back off as soon as he got that vibration. It got so intense and he was so well-trained that I would have my grandkids stand on the other side of the, the invisible fence and try to call to him with treats and he still wouldn't come. Hmm. Now, here's the question. Where was the fence? Because we turned off the invisible fence and he still wouldn't come across. Was Where was head. the barrier? It was in his head. Mm -hmm. And that happens to us on a lot of different issues where we have this barrier in our head that's holding us back. And that's what we've got to confront if we're going to have a great year and if we're going to go to a new level in the various areas of our life. You know, it's so interesting. Every time I approach a new year, I set new goals for myself and I happen to accomplish a lot of them, which is great. And it happens for many different reasons. But the one thing I always look back on at the end of the year and the goals that I've accomplished is that I'm actually very surprised at myself. And sometimes I will hit those goals, but, but, crush them, like go way past what I ever thought was possible. And every time I, I reach those goals, I, I often say to myself, man, I, I keep underselling myself or I keep not believing that I could actually do better than this. And so my question to you is, well, how do you know how far to go with your goals? And, and I know it, it may be a different approach for more your personal and life goals versus your business goals. But I mean, how, how can we gauge? I mean, I think, I mean, anybody could say, you know, at any level next year, I'm going to make a billion dollars where, right. you know, that may not be very possible for most people, but where does that line get drawn and how do you, how do you draw that line? Yeah, that is a great question. It's a common question. And I think of it as three different zones. So a lot of people want to set a goal in the comfort zone. You know, they, they, it's just an incremental improvement in some area mm -hmm. and they know they absolutely can slam dunk it. Here's the problem with that. It doesn't create any growth and it doesn't create any excitement. And the research that we've gathered shows that you actually have less of a chance of accomplishing those goals that are incremental and located inside the comfort zone. So that's zone one. Zone two, two is the discomfort zone. That's where it stretches you, you know, where it's a little bit beyond what you think might be possible. Uh, you may feel, and I think these are the markers of the discomfort zone, and this is why they call it the discomfort zone. You may feel some fear. You may feel some uncertainty. You don't know exactly how you're going to accomplish it. You may feel some doubt. You're not sure you've got what it takes to actually accomplish it. Those are great markers. When you start feeling that, you know you're uh, square in the middle of where you need to be because all the great stuff in life happens in the discomfort zone. Nothing good happens in the comfort zone. That's where 
you know, we watch television and we veg out, (laughs) you know, we don't really achieve anything, but the discomfort zones where it happens now, zone three is what you want to also avoid. And that's the delusional zone. You know, so if I thought that I could make, uh, the PGA senior tour, um, anybody that's played golf with me would tell you that I'm being delusional. You know, that's not possible. So I I don't want to go up to the delusional zone. I want to maybe go up right to the edge and then click it back a few. I want it to be in the discomfort zone. So that's how I think about it. Am I feeling uncomfortable? Awesome. That's where I want to be. I love that. When I think back in my past to some of the goals that I've set, sometimes I, I feel like, and, I, and I'm, I'm admitting this now, um, I set goals that I know I will achieve. And I, I think I'm playing tricks with myself saying, you know, I'm just going to write down something that I knew I was going to already do. <laughs> exactly. Well, we do that with task lists, right? You know, if you're the kind of person, and I confess that I've done this from time to time, as an achiever, you know, sometimes I'll, I'll do the task and then I'll write it on my list because I want the, you know, the credit for being able to check it off. <laughs> right, 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 right. That's really interesting. Now, on the zone three thing, the delusional, I mean, I've heard many people uh, preach and say, you know what, you got to shoot as high as you can because even if you don't get that goal, you're still going to re- end up with great results. I'm curious to your thoughts on that because that is definitely in the delusional zone at times. And my personal feeling is, you know, reach high, of course, but I would also feel bad if I didn't, you know, for me as being a very competitive person, also an achiever, I feel like if I weren't able to reach those incredibly high goals, I'd still feel bad about it, even though I were to have great results. Yeah, that that's a tricky one. And I think one of the things that we have to do is that when we're planning forward and we're looking at the goal in front of us, we're going to be measuring the gap, right? We're going to be looking at where we are versus where we want to be. Right. And this is kind of a, another insight from Dan Sullivan. And he says that once we get to the goal, whatever's happened, we need to not measure the gap, which is people that are sometimes perfectionist uh, or uh, achievers, they'll measure the gap. They'll say, well, you know, I said I wanted to earn a million dollars, but I only earned 950000 And they'll beat themselves up because I came short of the right, goal. Right. But so what Dan says and what I think is right is measure the gain you know, look backwards and say, okay, but where was I last year? And now I'm going to rejoice in what happened in this last year and not beat myself up for what I didn't hit. And I'll give you a good case in point. So my most recent book is a book called, as you refer to living forward. Mm -hmm. Um, my goal is my number one goal for 2016 was put living forward on the New York times bestseller list by March 31st, 2016. So you know, I've, I've had two books that hit the bestseller, New York Times bestseller list. So I knew it wasn't impossible. I didn't think it was delusional, but I also know it takes a lot of work and that was a big goal and it's more competitive than ever. So got my team together. We put together, a, I, I thought a, a great launch plan. We worked hard. It hit the USA Today bestseller list. It hit the Wall Street Journal list, but it did not hit the New York Times bestseller list. And so the question is, was, d- does that mean that goal setting just doesn't work? You know, you set a goal, you worked hard, you didn't achieve it, you just throw you up your hands? No, because here's why. We wouldn't have hit the USA Today bestseller list, nor the uh, Wall Street Journal bestseller list, if we weren't shooting for the New York Times bestseller list. And, you know, that's kind of a no- notorious thing with the New York Times list, too, as to, to why they put some books on the list and others right. they don't. Because I know based on the book scan numbers, we had the numbers, we were the second bestselling book of the nation that week. But for whatever reason, we missed it. So I'm not going to beat myself up. I'm going to celebrate the fact that I hit those other two bestseller lists and we're going to learn from that experience. And I'm going to have the same goal for the next book I publish. 
And I'm sure you had other goals related to the book as well. I mean, the, the, the book I know has changed several people's lives and have got them started down the right path finally. And that obviously is something that the, that the book is doing that in, I think most people totally. would agree is, is more important than the New York Times bestseller list. Oh, you know, it, it so is, Pat. And thanks for mentioning that because the truth is the only reason I want to hit the New York Times list or any bestseller list is to give the book more visibility so that more, more people are exposed and more people have the possibility of transformation. But at the end of the day, that's exactly what I'm after is, is people that take what they learn, apply it and experience a transformation. Right. So when it comes to things like that, where, you know, there's sort of a meter of whether or not your, your book is the going as far as it should or, you know, things like that. You should also remember the why behind why you're doing it in the first place. Totally. I think that ta that should always take pr the primary concern. Now, I'd love for you to share a recent, you know, besides the book, is there, and I know you've done a lot over the past year, like I, like I mentioned earlier, so I'm sure there, there's one example you could pull out, but could you share a recent example of a goal that you set, um, how far in advance you set it, and what you did to, you know, work toward that? Yeah, I'm kind of torn here because there's a couple of them, but let me give you one that was my third goal for 2016, which was to create and launch my new productivity course by September the 1st, 2016. So that was uh, the Free to Focus course. Mm -hmm. We didn't know that was the name at the time when I set this, but I set this goal back in December when I was finalizing my goal setting for 2016. So this would have been December 2015. So I began to think about what that what that's going to take. And so actually the previous summer, I had compiled all the blog posts and podcasts that I'd ever done on productivity so that at least we sort of had a, a an archive or an encyclopedia of all the content that was already available. We need, may need to be uh, reformatted or restructured, but we have that. Mm -hmm. And then uh, where it went from there is that I went through with my content team several outlines of that course. And this is really kind of my unique contribution is getting the structure and the frameworks and all that. And so then when I was in New York one day with my uh, chief content officer, uh, Joel Miller, we got a hotel that we booked for a day and we just got a whiteboard up and we just outlined the thing, all the details. And so then we came back and then we started putting all the content that we had, figured out where the holes were, started doing the research. So it was really getting the content done first. Meanwhile, as it begins to take shape, and the marketing team begins to see the messaging and what some of the key features are, they start working on things like the sales page and what the launch videos were going to look like and, and all the rest. Mm -hmm. So, you know, for me, it starts as an individual, you know, I'm thinking through it and what my contribution is going to be. But I, I think if you're, if your dream doesn't require a team, it's not big enough. And oh, so I like involving a team. I like doing things with a team. And certainly there's a part of it that I can only do in the privacy of my own office that I'm where I'm working on it. But I love working on a team because they without that team, the course wouldn't have turned out as well as it as it did and been as successful as, as it was. Well, I'm sure there's a level of accountability too, having other people involved where, you know, the work that you do, you don't want to fall behind because you don't want to let other people down. They're relying on you to get certain things done by a certain time. I know I feel that when I work with my team on different projects and them too. They're going to want to make sure that they live up to their end and of the, of the deal too. And so I'm curious beyond the team, uh, are there any other things that a person can do to, you know, increase the likelihood that they're, they're really going to follow through on those goals, whether it's accountability or, yeah. or any other strategies? Yeah, I, I'm a big believer 
in bringing outside resources. People don't do this. They struggle with problems for years, you know, a marriage that they, they don't enjoy or parenting problems that, uh, that they're, they're struggling with or weight loss or strength training or any of that. And I'll just give another example from my own life. For several years, I had strength training as a goal. I was very specific about what I wanted to do. And it was more of a habit goal where how many times I wanted to do strength training. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I was always, I've always done a pretty good job on the cardio and really maintaining my weight. But I could see as I was getting older that I was going to be losing my strength and muscle mass and all that, which is important the older you get. So, um, I, I got so frustrated with this that I was talking to a friend of mine who's a psychologist and I said, you know, I've had this on my goal list now for a couple of years and I just never seem to get to it. And I'm, I'm just like, I, I know better. I teach this stuff. And he said to me, he said, you need to bring in an outside resource. I said, what do you mean? He said, why don't you hire a trainer? I'm like, duh. I mean, it's like one of those, <laughs> you know, uh, moments where I slapped myself on the head and I went, yeah, why not? So I hired a, tra- a trainer that was three years ago. And I train with him three days a week, every week. And I'm stronger than I've ever been in my life. But that required bringing in an outside resource. Now, why did I wait so long? I don't know. I don't know. You know, it wouldn't have to be a trainer. I mean, there's probably people listening to this that can't imagine hiring a trainer, but it could be a workout buddy. Like the guys that are in my mastermind or in this whole thing where they're keeping each other accountable uh, to do a certain number of push-ups every day. They're doing a hundred push-ups every day. And you can bring in the accountability partner for whatever it is. Um, it may be a counselor, maybe something that you could barter with. But don't feel like you've got to just rely on your own ingenuity, creativity, or motivation. Have somebody else. I love that. I love that. Do you, I mean, a lot of people who are listening to this, they have an audience. They have a following on social media. Would you recommend asking an audience to help hold, hold them accountable or sharing your goals? I, I know there's kind of two sides to this. Some, sometimes uh, there's the, you know, you get the accountability aspect, which is what I feel when I share a goal with my audience. I really want to make sure I do it for, for just to prove to them that I can. And, you know, they, they, I, I know I'm going to get sort of flack for it if I don't. But also, I've, I think I was Derek Sivers who, who had mentioned that sometimes when we say our goals to other people, you know, subconsciously it makes us feel like we're kind of already achieving that goal when really we're far from it. And so I'm curious to know how would one utilize their existing audience to help them achieve their goals too? Yeah, well, I remember one time when I, when I ran my first half marathon, I went public with it. And I said, guys, I'm going to do this. I've never run a half marathon. In fact, I'm not working out that consistently. That was about 15 years ago. Mm-hmm. And I said, but I'm going to do this. And um, it, it actually worked for me. But then I, I watched that TED Talk from Derek Sivers where he talks about that very thing. And of course, he says you should never share them basically with anybody because you get the psychological benefit that your brain thinks you've actually accomplished it and you kind of take your foot off the gas. Right. I actually think that work, what works best and all the research that I've seen on this is selective sharing is the key. So in other words, if you, mm. if you share your goals selectively with people that are willing to hold you accountable, help remind you of why when you get into the messy middle and forget your why – and, you know, people that are just to talk, talk straight to you, but basically encourage you because not everybody will do that. You know, there's some people that you'd share your goal with that'll kind of poo poo it might be somebody in your family that just doesn't take it seriously. And, and they're going to pull you back. They're going to discourage you. So selective sharing is, is what I believe in practice. I think that makes complete sense because when you share it with your audience, you know, they're not there to help you all the time. 
and they're not necessarily having right. you at top of mind all the time. But if you're working with a few people who know you're trying to get to this goal and maybe you slack a little bit, they're going to come back to you and say, hey, what happened to this? Where were you when you said you were going to do that? And to me, that's going to be very, very motivating because you selected those people for a reason. They're not just, just going to be random people, but people that are you know, meaningful in your life who will, you know, their, their word is going to mean a lot more to you. Well, I know you've been in masterminds and I, I have a paid mastermind with guys that are in it. And one of the biggest benefits, one of the, the best things that they get out of it is they're every month stating what their goals are for the next month to each other and only each other, but holding each other accountable. And, uh, I mean, I just facilitate the group and sometimes they're really tough with each other. Other times they're just really encouraging and, and, you know, let's not beat ourselves up, but let's get back in the game. But there's just a, a wonderful thing that happens when you have a, a small group of people that love you and are committed to you and, and want you to help realize your best version of yourself. Mm -hmm. One thing I recently learned in all the mastermind groups that I'm in is that people respond to others in different ways. And for me, for example, I respond very well to positive feedback. And if I'm not doing something I'm supposed to, I, I enjoy positive encouragement. For a while, when I was slacking off for some things that I was supposed to do, a few people in the group would get all drill sergeant on me because that's the way that they respond best. But that was not the way that I would respond best. And sometimes when they would do that, I would just kind of curl up into a little ball and, and hide in the corner of my office and just feel bad <laughs> about myself all the time. That's not what motivates me. And so one thing that we've done in our mastermind groups, this is something that I, I feel every mastermind group should do, is to share with each other how they best respond and share what motivates them and what doesn't motivate them. That way the rest of the group can kind of know what those qualities are and make sure that they're always encouraging in the way that the person would respond best to. That's a great idea. I, you know, somebody that I have read a lot of is Brene Brown. She's um, a shame researcher at, I believe, the University of Houston. And of course, she's a big mega bestselling author mm -hmm. and she talks a lot about shame. And she's a fascinating storyteller. But one of the things that uh, she's come up with in her research is that when other pe whenever people feel shamed, it shuts them down and actually manifest more of the wrong kind of behavior. So I don't, I don't even mind the drill sergeant thing as long as it doesn't turn into shame because then it kind of cuts to your identity. And so much of our behavior flows out of our identity. And this mm -hmm. is one trick also, a, a hack in goal setting. So for example, like, let's say you're trying to get consistent as a runner. Well, you may tell yourself, well, I'm just not a runner. Well, if you reinforce that identity, it's going to manifest itself in your behavior and you're not going to be a runner. Totally. But if you start saying to yourself, you know what? I'm a runner. Well, guess what? What do runners do? They run. So deal with it at the level of your identity and be very careful about the self-talk uh, that you're using, what you're saying to yourself. You know, same thing happens with blogging or podcasting. I mean, sometimes you can feel like you're an imposter when you begin, but to say to yourself, I'm a blogger or I'm an author or I'm a public speaker or whatever it is, reaffirm what it is that you want to become because your behavior is going to flow out of that. Yeah, own it, everybody. It reminds me of our good friend Jeff Goins, who when he was starting in his journey as a writer, he was struggling quite a bit until he started to write down to himself, I am a writer, I am a writer, I am a writer. And now he's you know, an, an amazing author with several books and a, a huge tribe of writers. Yeah. I, lo I love that example. I've interviewed Jeff on the very topic and everything shifted for him when he owned that. Yeah, absolutely. Identity is huge. Um, the last thing I want to talk about before I let you go, Mike, and again, thank you so much for your time here today and, and all the wisdom you that you're sharing. Um, and this is something that I asked you a previous time you were on the show, but I think it's something that always comes up. And that is when it comes to goal setting or these things that we're working on, sometimes you know, we have in our head, 
another idea that comes up or a different goal or, you know, maybe the thing we've been working on just doesn't feel right anymore. We don't see, see the results that we were expecting right away. And we often want to change course. Is, do you have a litmus test or some sort of strategy to help people figure out, well, when's the right time to, to shift to a new direction versus continue on the one that you're on? Yeah, I, I basically run that goal and this usually happens in the middle of the year, right? When you kind of lose focus and, mm-hmm. and you feel like you're running out of runway and you're not sure you can pull it off. But I, I run it through this list, litmus test and I call it the three R's. So the first thing I, I say is, can I recommit? Maybe I've just less, lost touch with my why. And that's one of the reasons why in my goal setting course, we spend a lot of time on what are your key motivations? What are the, what do you, what is at stake if you achieve this? And what is at stake if you don't achieve this? So to, to recommit to the goal by reconnecting with my why. If I can do that, that's what I'm going to do. Sometimes though, you have to revise the goal. Maybe you had a change in your life circumstances. You got a different job or you lost your job or you went out and started a company or something could happen or you had a new baby, something that would happen that would change the circumstances. And so therefore it's important to revise the goal. You know, you don't have to completely delete it, but you can revise it and make it more, I hate to use the word realistic, but make it more appropriate mm-hmm. for the season of life you find yourself in now. Because when we you know, start at the beginning of the year or before the year begins, you know, we're kind of seeing everything. It's a little foggy. We're not quite sure. But uh, as we move through the year, we get more clarity and some things may need revision. The third R, though, is just to remove it. I mean, this is your game. It's, it's not like you're going to get to the end of the year and somebody's going to, you know, the goal police are going to come and say, okay, buddy, how many did you achieve <laughs> out of what you set out to do? So if something's really no longer relevant or if it's defeating you every time by just looking at it, get rid of it. You know, get something on your goal that, uh, on your goal list that'll really motivate you. I was talking again to one of the guys in my uh, mastermind the other day who said he just declared, I, I taught before, email bankruptcy. I've done that. And he said, I, de- I declared... <laughs> Uh, goal bankruptcy. And he said, I just flushed all my goals and started over. And for these last two months of the year, I've got goals that I am so pumped about. And sometimes that's necessary. So those are the, and that's kind of the order I would do. Revise if you can, or excuse me, recommit if you can, revise if you can't. And then if neither one of those two work, then just remove it. I love that structure. Does that help? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. That makes it very clear, even even for me, who uh, deals a lot of this stuff every single day, actually. And you know, I could still imagine people saying, "You know, I've worked so hard on this, and I've spent months kind of working on this. It's hard for me to let it go because I feel like." And this is this is similar to when I had gotten laid off. You know, I'd gotten laid off from the architecture world. You know, went to school for five years, worked in the in that field for three years. That was eight years that I spent dedicated to architecture. And when I had the chance to become an entrepreneur, I eventually finally made the plunge and started to do it and really commit to it. But at first I was like, well, I can't let go about, I can't let go of the eight yep. years that I had spent and in school. And, you know, that's what I thought I was going to do. Do you have any tips for somebody who's, who's making, you know, who has that kind of conflict in their head related to, you know, what they have been doing this whole time and that time and effort that they've invested into that versus maybe a brand new path where what they had done is, is actually not going to matter anymore. Well, the truth is it's a sunk cost, right? You've made the investment. And the worst thing you can do with a sunk cost is continue to pour good money or good energy after bad. And so you're much better off in those situations to just kind of cut your losses Mm -hmm. um, and and move on to something else where you can really apply yourself and have a much better chance of of achieving it. So it does take some mental discipline. I'm kind of that way too. You know, it's easy for me to want to hold on to things and, and hold on too long. 
But I think one of the benefits of age, frankly, the older you get, you realize everything in life's a trade-off. And if you're going to take on new opportunities, if you're really going to, to move the needle in your business, if you're going to move it in your personal life, a lot of times ending things is as important as uh, beginning things. And I'll tell you a great book uh, on this topic is a book by Henry Cloud, and um, it's called Necessary Endings. Have you read that? No, but that's that's one of those books that, you know, it was kind of like essentialism and the one thing it's kind of been being tossed around the entrepreneurial space. That's another one that I keep hearing about. So it, it oh. will be on my book list for sure. You should have Henry on your show. He's a great interview. Oh, that'd be great. And what's the title again? Necessary Endings. Brilliant book. I've read it several times. Man, Mike, this has been fantastic. Thank you again so much for, for coming on. I'd love to ask you really Thank quick you, uh, why everybody should pick up your course or, or who is it for? I mean, I've, I've gone through the course myself, bestyearever.me slash SPI is going to be the link for you. And one of the interesting things about this course is that it's not very long. You know, sometimes when we are hearing about creating online courses, we want to pack as many videos and worksheets and all this stuff in there because we feel like the more things that are in there, the more you could charge, the more value that, that people are going to get out of it. And, you know, I don't I don't know how many videos you have in the, uh, in, in this upcoming uh, round here, but it, it, it's very few. And yeah, just five, just five. Yeah. On paper, you're like, what? You have five videos. But it's exactly the content you need if this is something you absolutely need help with. And it's no no more, no less. And that's what I love about it. It's like you can just get the content, really get into that right mindset, get what you need, and then you could start to focus on, on these goals. So uh, thank you for giving us a good example of what a great course is, that it's not necessarily about oh, just how many videos there are. I'm, I'm, I'm learning from you here, and, and, and in my own courses, I'm adopting the same strategies, really give everybody what they need to get those results quicker. Um, but who is it for, and, and why should people pick it up? Yeah, I think it's for anybody that is really committed to personal growth, who is committed to excellence and not just in one area of their life, but they really want to have it all. They want to have their best year ever. And you get to define that. But for somebody who really wants to do that and harness the power of goal setting, whether you're an entrepreneur or whatever, I mean, it doesn't, doesn't really matter. Uh, we've had students go through this. We've had government officials go through it. We've had uh, law enforcement go through it. We've had just about every conceivable uh, person go through this, but anybody who wants a better future and is committed to making this next year your best year ever, this is basically the roadmap. And um, as you know, it, it's called five days to your best year ever. So it's really was set up initially for people to take one video a day. It takes you about uh, 30 to 45 minutes a day for five days. And you come out of the back end of that process with a plan, a very simple, executable plan for this next year that I promise if you do it, you'll be jazzed about this next year, you'll be mo fo more focused, and you'll have more clarity than probably you've ever entered a year with. Love that. I'm, a, I'm actually gonna be going through it to prepare myself for, for 2017, so uh, hoping awesome. to see maybe some of you guys who are listening in there as well. And again, that link was uh, bestyearever.me slash SPI, and I'll talk a little bit more about that after we get off the, the phone with Michael, but anyway, I'm going to let you go. You've been so gracious with your time today, Michael. Always a pleasure to speak to you, and I cannot wait until I get to see you in person again. Shake your hand, and thank you again for all the great things that you've done for me and the SPI audience. Oh. I appreciate you so much. Thanks, buddy. Great to be with you. Take care. All right, I hope you enjoyed that episode with Michael Hyatt from michaelhyatt.com. If you want to check out five days to your best year ever with me, you can check it out at bestyearever.me slash SPI. 
bestyearever.me slash SPI. We'll take that course together. I'll see you in there and we could talk about it. And uh, I really hope to crush these big goals that I have in 2017. And I know you want to do the same thing. So show notes for this uh, episode are available at smartpassiveincome.com slash session 243. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash session 243. And by the way, that link is an affiliate link. So I do get a commission if you go through that link at no extra cost to you. If you have any questions about the course, let me know. I've gone in there before and, and have checked it out, but he reshoots it every year. It's awesome. So again, that link one more time, bestyearever.me slash SPI. Awesome. Thank you so much. I appreciate you. I look forward to uh, working through that course with you guys. Michael Hyatt's course, five days to your best year ever at bestyearever.me slash SPI. And um, yeah, good luck to all of you and your goals and the people who you're going to serve through all those goals that you're setting. I appreciate you. Thank you so much for listening in. And I look forward to serving you in next week's episode of the SPI podcast. Cheers. And thanks so much. Bye. Thanks for listening to the Smart Passive Income Podcast at www.smartpassiveincome.com. So podcasting is obviously a big deal here at SPI. And today, I'm so excited to tell you about our newest podcast. Yes, a brand new podcast called Flops. Flops is all about exploring, celebrating, and normalizing failure in the entrepreneurial journey. Every entrepreneur experiences failure at some point, so I love that we're just facing it head on here. And the show is hosted by two members of the team, Karen and Ray, and in it, they talk to entrepreneurs who have had stumbles, setbacks, and flat-out failures. These guests are honest and generous with their stories, and I think they offer hope and encouragement for all other entrepreneurs out there because we all experience it, right? We all experience failure. For example, in the first episode, Ray talks to John who got caught up in a Ponzi scheme. It's a story with twists and turns that will keep you hooked. It's a great story. I highly recommend you check it out. But one thing I love about Flops is that it doesn't dwell on the failure and it always finds a bright side. I really love it and I think you will too. So the first season of Flops has already started with new episodes dropping on Wednesdays. You can find it on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. You can also listen at smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. Again, that's smartpassiveincome.com slash flops. I hope you enjoy it.